Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Hey, it's Chaz Mostert here, and yes, I'm inside your speaker. I'm in here because I have a special message for you from Clayton in Melbourne. If you're a club, state, or national racer on the circuit or on the dirt in Speedway or rallying, you can now tap into the know-how of Walkinshaw Racing Services, and you don't need a supercar to get in the door. The same expertise that's won multiple Bathurst 1000s and V8 Supercar Championships is now available for you to call upon. From bonnet to bumper, WRS can help you with engines, design, paint, machining, fabrication, and so much more for all sorts of makes, models, and categories. Have a chat with Walkinshaw Racing Services and tell them what matters to you. Call now on 1300 WRacing or email services at walkinshawracing.com.au. A Motorsport Podcast Network production. Hello and welcome to the Castrol Motorsport News Podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Van Leeuwen, and here's what is making news this week. A majority stake in Dick Johnson Racing has been sold off. Ryan Story and Dick Johnson are now joined in the DJR ownership group by the Ralph family with the shareholding to be held by Brett Ralph's Melbourne Aces Baseball Club. The Supercars Gen 3 program will hit a major milestone this week when the first chassis is delivered to a non-homologation team. The Pace Innovations made chassis will be handed over to Brad Jones Racing at Sandown in a few days' time. However, at this stage, it is just the centre part of the chassis and the rear clip, given the new front end will only run for the first time at Sandown. Supercars hopes the revised front end will be signed off after the Sandown running, which will happen both during the race weekend and on the Monday. Supercars has mandated the configuration of the in-car warning system for stalled cars. The change is a response to the frightening crash between Thomas Randall and Andre Heimgartner at the bend in the second race. Neil Crompton's tenure as the interim chair of the Supercast Commission has come to an end. The racer turned commentator will walk away from the commission with Shane Howard taking over as chairman until a new permanent chairman is appointed. The home of Supercars in Western Australia has a new name. After a brief stint as Wanneroo Park Raceway, the traditional name, the track formerly known as Barbagallo Raceway is now called carco.com.au Raceway. The covers have come off the all Kiwi wildcard entry that Greg Murphy and Richie Stanaway will race at the Bathurst 1000 this year. It's a striking orange and black boost mobile look with some neat little touches in the artwork, including the famous silver fern. Formula Regional Asia team Evans GP, run by Aussie Josh Evans, claims one of its cars has been stolen. It is thought that the alleged guilty party is known to the team and that the car is currently located in Germany. The team is asking anybody with the information to get in touch. There looks to be an eligibility backflip in Super 2 on the cards, with the VF Commodore, FGX Falcons and Nissan Ultimas set to be shuffled back to Super 3 next season after all. That will leave the Gen 2 Mustangs and ZBs as the sole runners in Super 2, while the fate of the Project Blueprint cars in the Supercast system isn't entirely clear. And the date has been set for the 2023 Australian Grand Prix. The event will run from March 30 to April 2 and is set to be the third round of the Formula 1 season. It will also likely be the second round of the Supercar season following Newcastle. Joining me this week to discuss all that and more is a teammate that was once known as the Melbourne Ace before he moved to the Gold Coast, Stefan Bartholomew. Stefan, how are you today? G'day, Andrew. I must admit, I thought Melbourne Aces were what gets served in January at Melbourne Park, but ah, it, uh, it turns good. out it's a baseball club that uh, now owns a race team. Uh, yep, that's that's it's an interesting. Actually, look, let's just crack straight into it. I guess um, we can start with this DJ ownership news. We've known for some time. Um, that a buy-in was on the cards. It's now been confirmed that it is the Ralph family, led by Brett Ralph, who was bought 
a majority share. Um, nothing much is expected to change on the operational front, but uh, Brett Ralph does bring a heck of a lot of experience in both business through Jet Couriers, which he founded and runs, and sport through the Melbourne Aces Baseball Club, which also has a stake in the Melbourne Storm NRL Club, the Sunshine Coast Lightning Netball Club, and the Melbourne United NBL Club. Um, it's interesting that these DJR shares will actually belong to the Melbourne Aces portfolio because, Stefan, I've got to be honest, I never thought I'd see the day that a baseball club would own a supercars team. Yeah, well, same here, but also I guess the idea of a Melbourne-based mob as majority owner of the team founded by Queensland's favourite son is uh, going to yeah. take some getting used to as well. Yeah, it's a. Um, I mean, this doesn't have the the motor racing cachet of someone like a Roger Penske coming into the category, but it seems that you know we've got a guy here with a great track record in business, a passion and background in sport. I mean, this is a fundamentally a good outcome for DJR, right? Yeah, it does appear to tick all the boxes in terms of fresh investment from a party with proven business and sporting involvement. So congrats to Ryan Story and Dick Johnson on, on getting this deal done. It, uh, it was a little confusing the way it's presented there, like it's it's Ralph family money but through mm. the Melbourne Aces Baseball Club, as you explained. And, and there wasn't like a press conference or a lot of detail sort of provided with this including like just how much they've bought. But what they have said is it's a majority shareholding. So regardless of the exact number, it's a very big slice and the controlling slice. So it's a huge moment really in the history of the team and the sport considering DJR's importance. Um, you know, but that said, Brett Ralph has been very clear on only wanting to be in the background. So on the surface, it appears nothing much is going to change. He has kept a pretty low profile in his other sporting involvements. So it'll be interesting to see at Sandown, like he'll be on the ground, whether he does much media or anything like that. They're also going to roll out the Will Davison contract announcement in the lead up to Sandown. So maybe uh, maybe they'll try to bury this uh, under that. Yeah, I mean, there's certainly, you know, um, I spoke to Ryan Story around Townsville about what was happening here and there were some hints about, you know, a Sandown announcement because Melbourne kind of made sense. Um, when you talk about, you know, what the share might actually be, you know, Townsville was really when the paddock was going crazy with talk that this thing was happening, that, you know, a lot of stuff was actually already locked in. And there was talk that it was up to 80%. Now, not everything that was being said at the time was right. There were certainly people linked to the buy-in that obviously we know now don't have anything to do with it. So that's not to say it's definitely as high as 80%, but it seems that it's feasible that it definitely could be. Talking about how the announcement sort of played out, um, I mean, the, the it definitely felt pretty underdone. Um, it wasn't actually meant to be yesterday. It was going to be on Thursday. That was the plan. Um, I actually had a story written ready to go yesterday saying um, the team is going to announce this later this week and here is the guy who's going to buy it, which was gazumped pretty quickly by a um, by a media release that was very much rushed out. It went out about 15 minutes before the embargo ended. So it was obviously a response to, um, you know, somebody caught wind that some media, not necessarily just me, but some media had had this story and it was about to drop anyway. So I think that sort of explains why it was a little bit rushed and maybe there isn't the fanfare behind what is a pretty significant announcement um, that you would often expect. And like you say, we'll see what sort of happens um, in Melbourne later this week with all that sort of stuff. Sounds like you're claiming you were on a couple of purple sectors and the red flag came out just before you got to the line. 
that is almost exactly what happens. And uh, there was a fair bit of swearing under the helmet, but that's how the game goes sometimes, Stefan. Don't you worry about that. Um, let's um, let's move on from that. Let's let's have a chat about uh, Gen 3. As I said at the top of the show, the big news late last week was that the first chassis, it's on its way to a non-homologation team. Erebus and Walkinshaw and Andretti United do have chassis kits already, but this is the first – well, I mean, the, the, the story – from supercars was it it's a completed chassis but it's not a completed chassis because the front end which has been the source of some controversy i guess you would say throughout the development is yet to actually run in its final spec or what they hope is the final spec on the car that will happen at sandown this week and i know that supercars wants to try and sign off on that front clip after sandown so then we then teams can actually have a complete chassis um Stephen, do you feel like there's finally a bit of momentum with gen 3 now like the waiting seems to have been the killer for the teams like they're sitting around with their with their sitting around on their hands not able to do anything watching their christmas holidays disappear once they can actually start getting their hands dirty do you think the excitement might grow a little bit from within the teams Oh, well, I don't know if excitement is how I'd word that from a team (laughs) point of view, but certainly externally. I mean, we've had these two prototypes buzzing around for, what is it, like nine months now, which is great, but it's the same old story of just seeing these same two cars roll out. And a lot of work, obviously, has been done by supercars and the two homologation teams in the background, but there hasn't been much new for the public to actually see. So I think once we do see some of these team builds coming together and obviously then the, the cars on track, it's going to gain that momentum and feel all a bit more real. It, it just comes back to the fact that the project is run a long way behind where it really should be, like despite yeah. what they'll tell you. I mean, when you look back at the car of the future, they did the whole prototype testing program. And then by August 6 of 2012, 888 had the first team car on track. Like it didn't have all the control components because they weren't ready yet. But um, yeah, by August and like September, FPR had the first full car of the future race car buzzing around Winton so yeah we're, we're a long way behind that sort of timeline like the way it's looking where we'll be lucky to see these team cars on track before Christmas yeah absolutely but I guess the important thing is like you're 100% right it's obviously way behind schedule but it kind of feels like it's gonna happen do you know what I mean like it hasn't necessarily felt there's always been this <laughs> lingering doubt even when you talk to people in the paddy like are we really gonna have new cars by Newcastle next mm. year or are we just gonna be driving these things around again it sort of I don't know. Does that make sense? It feels like it's going to happen now. Oh, yeah, for sure. And, I mean, I think some of the teams would have been happy to keep going with the current cars for another year. And there's probably been a little bit of um, politicking of at least one team trying to slow this thing down at one point to make sure the the evolution of uh, the Mustang model sort of lines up with when it debuts. So that's another part of it. Obviously, we're going to see in the next little bit sounds like at Bathurst we'll see the 2023 Mustang bodywork on that prototype as well, which um, is another thing, another big step in in making this thing a reality. Absolutely. Um, let's take a look ahead to the Sandown Super Sprint this weekend, Stefan. Uh, before we have a run through the form, do you miss the retro round? Like There was actually some talk about it coming back this year. I know it was discussed by supercars. Um, it obviously didn't happen. Is it a shame that we've kind of lost that oh totally i think you know what uh, my view on that would be like and i think also the reaction to jack perkins super two car for this weekend which is a tribute to the 1982 peter brock larry perkins hdt commodore like the, the reaction to that really shows there's the huge desire still from fans to see this retro round come back 
you know, I, th- I think supercars shares that desire too. But yeah, as you know, the, the cost of the liveries is borne by the teams. So they really need them to be on board to bring it back. And I think the, the retro round concept kind of goes hand in hand with actually bringing the 500 kilometer format back to yeah. Sandown as well. Like it's not really worthwhile making it retro round if it isn't a marquee event with free-to-air TV and all that, if it's just a sprint round on Fox, then uh, the spend on the liveries probably isn't isn't worth it. And at the moment, the teams are already committed to doing the special liveries for Darwin, the yeah. Indigenous round, which started this year, which is actually mandatory, where retro round never was. It was encouraged, but it wasn't actually in the rules. Um, that The Indigenous round's obviously a wider community engagement program. And Retro Round is is purely marketing, so I don't want to like equate them exactly, but at the end of the day, liveries cost money to do. Yeah. And un- unfortunately, the current suggestion, and I assume you're hearing a similar thing, is that the Sandown 500 might only come back for one year when they know it'll be the last year for Sandown before that turns into housing. And I think that's disappointing if that's the attitude that's currently uh, in play because the, they really need to bring the Sandown 500 back with Retro Round as soon as possible so we can enjoy this thing for as long as we can. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I mean, I, I still feel like that the sport is poorer for not having a proper enduro season um, mm. like we had for so long, you know. That that really, to me, is just a waste. I, know, I understand that it's cost, but, um, you know, you've got to spend money to make the show as good as it can be at some point, and that was always, you know, a special time of year for our category um, and something kind of unique to our category, and we've sort of – We've sort of lost that now. Having a marquee race like the Bathurst 1000, well, there's plenty of other categories that have their marquee race, but we kind of had this season within a season which which was sort of a refresh and everyone went into it and you could actually go and salvage something from your year from those three races. And, yeah, I always feel like it's a bit of a shame that we don't have that. So hopefully at some point, you know, teams are confident to spend the money to go and do things like that. Retro, It's funny we talk about money with deliveries because you think, oh, it's just stickers on a car, but, you know, it's, it is a big expense. You got to, Someone has to design the livery. Uh, you have to get a lot of a lot of gear uh, re-wrapped. You've got to potentially have uniforms, driving suits, wheels. Painting wheels is expensive, so it's kind of the – it's kind. it feels like something really easy for teams to do, but it's not necessarily – um, that easy. But would be great to have it back under the circumstances you described for sure. Every lap in under a minute means every second matters. Bosch Power Tools Perth Super Sprint, May 17 to 19. Book now at Tick Attack. Supercars unforgettable. Sandown is actually the scene of one of the single best drives I think I've ever seen in a supercar or probably in anything. Um, probably the best drive, to be honest. That was Shane Van Gisbergen coming from 17th on the grid with a busted collarbone to take victory there last year. That was uh, truly remarkable, that drive. Stefan, can anyone stop Giz this weekend, do you think, particularly on the super soft tyre or, as it's looking, particularly if it's quite wet there? Yeah, I mean, I guess parking the the weather aside for the moment, like it's when you think of triple eight tracks, you sort of think of Simmons, Townsville, and probably Sandown. Like it's a very yeah. tough assignment to beat them there. They've won the last seven races, stretching back to twenty eighteen. So yeah. the triple eight ZB is undefeated there in seven starts. So you've got to sort of start with that on the table when you're looking at the form. And then also, yes, what Shane did last year was mesmerising, but also demoralising. For everybody else and now he's just cleaned everyone up at the bend which is a track where the mustangs traditionally went quite well so 
that's uh, that's basically the form book. Personally, I'm quite interested to see if Brock Feeney steps up a little this weekend. Mm-hmm. Like he's been, yep. he's had a good rookie season. He's been pretty clean and consistent. He's done a great job on the whole, but he hasn't really shone and run right at the front. I don't think since Simmons. Uh, yeah. And and Saturday is his last chance actually to beat uh, Scotty McLaughlin's record as the youngest ever Supercars race winner, which uh, would be a nice little thing if he could tick off. But I think it's it's just going to be interesting given Triple Eight's form there to see where he slots in. Yeah, absolutely. But I mean, his assignment that assignment is so tough because even if it turns out the Triple Eight package is unreal, he's still got to beat Shane Van Gisbergen. You know, unless something goes wrong for Giz, that's then that's a pretty. A pretty tough thing to do. Um, to me, this is a real opportunity for, for Dick Johnson Racing to make a statement. You know, if you think back to last year, they had a bit of a shocker there. It was very early in the post-Penske era. It was very early in the post-Scott McLaughlin era. Um, Scotty even took to the socials to tell fans to lay off the team when a few of them got a bit lippy um, online. So, you know, it was kind of a point where uh, it didn't look like everything was working all that well for the team. And I think a strong weekend heading back to Sandown would sort of prove that they've stabilised in this new era and would be a great start to the next era with this ownership change and also all that sort of stuff, which won't take effect until early next year. But obviously we're at a symbolic point of knowing that 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 a large stake of the team is going to change hands. So I think they'll be interesting to keep an eye on. Whether they can beat Triple Eight, I think, is, is probably pretty tough. But, yeah, it'd be... It'd be interesting to see if they can kind of make amends for last year. Um, Tickford's gone well at Sandown in the past. Every race at the moment is a chance for someone like Nick Perkett to get his season back on track after some kind of ropey form. Um, Grove Racing could be an interesting one. We saw David Reynolds on the podium at Sandown last year, but they seem to be a bit down on grunt at the moment and not doing a lot of engine development, understandably, I guess, with the with the Gentoo era coming to a close. So, you know, that it might be tough for them this weekend unless it rains, which it almost certainly will do. Um, and it's also a chance for Erebus to build on Brody's podium at the bend after a kind of ropey year for them as well. Um, I think that was Sandown where he scored his first podium last year, wasn't it? Mm, um, so, you know, they have some prior form there. Um, so I think it's, you know, this is a good opportunity, particularly, again, if there's a bit of weather around for, for, for them to, to build on that momentum heading into a pretty critical part of the year with the Bathurst 1000 coming up. Stefan, anything you've got your eye on this weekend at Sandown? Well, especially if there is a bit of rain around, I hope you're bringing your uh, tyre batch uh, laser scanner or, or whatever to, <laughs> to keep track of those uh, uh, shall we say oh, shift yeah. fights? Wet, but um, wet, wet weather is a uh, wet weather. That was that's the OG tie batch debate. <laughs> yeah, I think. I mean, you've covered off uh, a fair few of them pretty nicely there. Like to be honest, the other thing I'd say is I'm looking forward to seeing the co-driver uh, session on Friday. Like they yep. only get uh, 30 minutes, which is a shame. Like really, it's ridiculous. They're they're all there, but they don't get to race. But anyway, we've already had that discussion. Yeah. But uh, it's, it's just always interesting to see the co-drivers in the cars. It's it's an exciting time of the year, even though there's no lead-up 500. It means we're, we're closer to Bathurst. And uh, then also Craig Lowndes is having a run in that BJR car because Jack Smith doesn't have a confirmed co-driver yet. So that should add at least a little bit to the, to the TV. Absolutely. Um, one other change heading into Sandown we should probably touch on is uh, the change to the, the in-car warning system. Now, you and I actually flagged the fact in the, in the, in the post 
the bend pod, um, that it was the configuration, not the system itself, that was the issue for a few drivers um, when Thomas Randall stalled on the grid. A few of the drivers complained that the shift lights weren't coming up fast enough on the dash. Um, and, you know, we're sort of talking about the system not being very good, but it turns out it was actually the way teams, the freedom that they had to configure them and the way they were going about that. It looks like we were we were on the money there because um, Supercars has now mandated the configuration of the stalled car Warning, Stefan, seems like a fairly obvious move. Would you agree? Smart decision? Yeah, totally. And we sort of talked about the fact they need to fix this and make sure it's right for Gen 3, but full credit to supercars for being even more decisive on it than that. And they've made an immediate change. So well done to them. Let's touch briefly on the unfolding eligibility backflip for Super 2 and Super 3 next year. Now, just to quickly cover off what's happening, the plan was originally for Gen 2 cars to be Super 2 cars next year. ZBs and Mustangs, and the rest to filter back to Super 3. Then, amid concerns regarding the grid size and with collectors snapping up Gen 2 cars, the decision was made to leave all Car of the Future cars in Super 2 and Blueprint cars in Super 3. Now it appears we're back to Plan A, and the cutoff cars will join the Blueprint cars, although how many Blueprint cars will actually stay in Super 3, I guess, is the next question we have to ask. Stefan, I'm struggling to keep up with this anymore. What's actually going on here? Yeah, I mean, it's all a bit of a mess and which way is the right way kind of depends on who you are and what you've got at your disposal, really. Yeah. Like, yeah. The, for me, the problem goes back to the fact that the ZB shouldn't have been allowed on track the way it was. It was so much quicker than the VF and the FGX that was around at the time when that came out. So they should all be able to run together, but the ZB and Mustang are too quick. So yeah. Really, I think the way to go is to split them out and have Super 2 just as ZB and Mustang only. But as we know, quite a a few of those cars have been snapped up by collectors. So there's a bit of a shortage of them around to go into Super 2. And because you can't build a new car and put it straight in Super 2, it has to have history in the main game. So this has created a sort of an interesting scramble going on in the background at the moment for cars. Like I've, I've heard Tickford has actually bought a Gary Rogers Motorsport Commodore, which last raced as a VF, but presumably they'll go and upgrade that to a Mustang, which you can do. Like as long as you've got the car of the future cage, you can hang other panels off it. So we could end up with some pretty weird and wonderful things going on in the next six months as, as teams try to get some Super 2 programs sorted. That's amazing. So uh, just, just an off-the-cuff question here. There was obviously at some point teams could build cars for Super 2, right? Well, that was a thing that happened in the in the past. There's a car here in Perth that was that only has that runs in sports sedans now. That I'm pretty sure only has second tier pedigree. Yeah, it was always intended that they were meant to have um, some pedigree in the main game. But there's been a few instances, isolated examples where teams have been permitted, like when GRM lost their Volvos and they had to build a couple of new VFs. For the main game, well, they built a couple of new VFs for Super 2 as well because they didn't have any cars. So that was a couple of little spot fires that got approved um, individually. But uh, the the intention certainly is that you have to have um, have to have main game pedigree with the cars. I guess we'll um, it'll be interesting to see sort of what people with the blueprint cars then decide to do. I mean, what we know is that the V8 Touring Car Series is coming back next year. There will be five rounds on the Speed Series bill. So there will be somewhere for those cars to go and run competitively right up the front. And I guess we might still see some guys want to run in Super 3 if they want the sort of the big event experience uh, on the supercars bill as well. 
Um, well, someone who has driven the full spectrum of modern supercars from blueprint cars right through to Gen 2 uh, is Rick Kelly. Now, we haven't heard much from Rick since he walked away from racing supercars at the end of the 2020 season. There's been no Bathurst 1000 comeback, very few appearances at the track, um, but he has had a lot going on in his life with the development of a new RV and caravan park and his new Castrol-backed Hellbent Garage TV series that he's doing with his son, Lex. I grabbed Rick for what was a really fun chat about his life after supercars, and here it is. Uh, Rick, we haven't heard a heap from you since you stopped racing supercars full-time. What have you been up to over the last uh, year? Yeah, it's a good question. Yeah, I, I obviously put out the little video saying I was stepping away and I thanked everyone and uh, and got stuck into firstly retirement for a couple of months and then from there basically the start of my um, my next career, if you like, and that's um, been a little bit in the building and development industry I, I had a lot of fun building the shed here um, which we'll touch on in a minute the hellbent garage and just made me think you know doing the, the manual labor side of things which is obviously something todd and i are no strangers to um growing up in mildura um building things yep. I, I just loved it you know you work hard all day and you see at the end of the day something in front of you that you've created and so um as a family group we've had a block of land in mildura now for a number of years where we plan to build an rv park and so um basically that's been my baby trying to um, pull that together um and get everything through council and everything designed up and go from there and it's it's so challenging and so rewarding as well because obviously um i've had a little bit of experience with that stuff on the side but not to this level so i'm, I'm constantly learning every day um like today's a good example i'm trying to work out what size um grease trap i need for the restaurant um at the caravan park or rv park which is called trenton waters and what's what the wash bay needs and all these trade waste forms i'm filling in for the council and just things that i i didn't even know existed so it's um it's been really enjoyable it's uh, it's starting to come to life um on a computer screen in front of me now with some 3d renders and stuff coming through so yeah it's 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 basically that i travel to still live in melbourne but travel to mildura regularly um um trying to pull all that together so uh you guys will have to come over and stay in the resort when it's up and running, and uh, that, I'll, I'll be able to let you know what size grease trap we ran with. <laughs> that, that, that sounds like a pretty different life to the life of Supercars. So when will the uh, when will the resort actually be finished and open? What's the what's the plan? Well, it's such a big project. Um, it's about ten minutes out of Mildura, like I said, and it's um, on a forty-acre block up the top, and then two hundred acres down on the riverfront of the Murray River. So it's a huge project. Originally, we're hoping for the end of this year, and basically, we're only just about to start, just to, with how long it's taken to plan everything out correctly. So I really hope that we can, you know, kick the gates open towards the end of next year. Um, but it's probably going to flow into the the following year, just with how much we have to actually develop there. So. Hopefully, hopefully then, <laughs> but I'm not sure. Obviously, it's such a challenge in so many industries trying to find, um, you know, resource to build it, all the building yeah. materials and, and labour, you know, just trying to get people in there to get the job done because everyone's chasing staff. So uh, we'll see. I'll just keep my head down and backside up and see how quickly we can make it happen. Do you miss motor racing at all? Do you miss getting in a supercar every second weekend and going racing? I don't so much miss um, that because, you know, it's it's about 10% driving and 90% the other stuff, as we know. So yeah. um, there's been a clear shift now and I'm, I'm buried in this um, and it's so busy. I've just got so much stuff that I'm not doing that I should be. So I don't really have time to sit around and, and think about it too much. I think if I did have a lot of time, I'd probably miss it a little bit yeah. because it's what I've known for my entire life. But, um, you know, the travel and all the things that come along with being a supercar driver – 
and the opportunities on the side are, are, are amazing. So, you know, when you don't have that anymore, you, you know, you tend to think about it. But, yeah, all in all, it's it was time for me, you know, so I don't I don't tend to miss it um, so much and um, get stuck into the next thing that's uh, ahead of me. You couldn't be tempted back to have a spin in a Gen 3 car at some point? Um. I mean, there's been a lot of opportunities here and there, but when I do something, I like to be completely dedicated to it. So yeah. just to turn up and jump into something like that, I, I don't think is a good idea from being able to, you know, do what I'd like to do and deliver a really good job and do a good job of it. So um, I've tried to steer away from those opportunities just to focus on what I've what I've got going on. Yeah, I can imagine the phone might have rang a couple of times uh, from people looking for someone to show up, looking for you to show up at Bathurst over the last <laughs> couple of years. Do you still keep an eye on, on on the category? Are you someone who can sit down and watch a race or do you, are you just sort of totally removed from it now? Um, well, well, I hate to be this guy, but I, I don't have um, Foxtel, so it's quite hard for me to watch. <laughs> <laughs> it's quite hard for me to watch live. Look, I do um, – jump on the live timing through the weekend and just see what's happening, you know, just obviously we've still got a little bit of an invested interest in it. And yeah. it's been such a huge part of my life. So it's quite difficult to just walk away without checking in, you know, even on social media, everyone that I've, uh, you know, a lot of my friends and, and people I know and the people I follow on social media are involved in the sport. So you can't disappear completely because it's constantly popping up in front of you. So yeah, I, I keep a, an eye on that sort of stuff. It, it seems like, you know, um, a lot's changed, but at the same time, the way things happen and, and, and motorsport in general hasn't changed at all with the, you know, all the topics that yeah, come up yeah, and yeah. all the controversies and the Gen 3 thing. It's all, you know, it's all as it used to be. So, um, yeah, I, the, long answer to your question, but yeah, I, I keep across some of it, but I don't, I don't watch it. And when you don't watch it live and you ha- you don't see the vision and you don't have the commentators getting excited, it becomes hard to get excited about looking at a, a lifetime yeah. experience. So it doesn't occupy too much of my day when it's on. So I see you're trying to ride on Lexus coattails after we rocketed to TV stardom in 2020 on the Supercars broadcast. <laughs> um, the uh, the Hellbent Garage project looks pretty cool. So what sort of stuff? Tell me about like what it is and what sort of stuff will you and Lex be, be building in there? Yeah, it's something pretty exciting, to be honest, to work on with Lex. Through 2020 and that road trip, we obviously had the chance to do some great things. And, and one of the best things from that was Lex doing some interviewing. And he always asks when he's going to have that opportunity again. And it's obviously a bit hard for me to um, you know, um, ha- make that happen with not driving anymore. So he tried to make a few of his own little YouTube clips on his computer game stuff. And um, this was just us, you know, a chance for us to really not, not so much create something new that we're working on, but more so just show what we're already working on in, in the shed, which we've called Hellbent Garage. So he loves doing it. Sometimes he, he um, doesn't want to go down and I work on it myself, but we've got all sorts of projects underway. Um, episode one will come out this Sunday, which will sort of unveil the first project we're working on. But we're also working on a lot of other projects that I've done um, before, like the jet car, remote control yep. jet powered car and just, uh, you know, the truck that we've had in the back background and just all those sorts of things. So it's, it's a good chance for us to, you know, build memories and, you know, educate um, along the way, both with Lex and how to do things like that, weld and, you know, undo things and do them up. But also for me, you know, like I've spent 20 years as a professional supercar driver 
driving things and then you know what it's like at that level you you know you you throw it through the sand trap or bang it against the wall and you hop out and say sorry guys and walk away and and do your job and the guys fix it so it's also an opportunity for me to now work on these things and and i love that side of it um so it's um it's good and i don't really know what i'm doing in a lot of cases so (laughs) you know the the viewer gets to come along with that journey of us you know learning and a bit of trial and error along the way and it is a good learning opportunity. I mean, I saw in the in the little intro video you did that, you know, Lex is, you know, he's doing a bit of kart racing and that sort of stuff. I mean, a great opportunity for him to learn how things work, you know, if he yeah. if he's going to go down the path of doing some racing himself. Yeah, the stuff in the Hellbent Garage is definitely that, an opportunity for him to learn. Like he's pulled apart engines and stuff. He's got no idea how to put them back together and and a lot of the time i don't either so it's it, it is learning that but he can go down there and grab the welder now and glue two pieces of steel together so you know at, at seven years old that's pretty cool um i mean i wouldn't let him weld my race car together before i go out there because we've we still got some room for improvement but it is about that and his go-karting is a, a good um a good thing to talk about because I didn't want to rush into that because I just stepped away from such a lengthy career uh, in motorsport. You don't want to jump back straight back in. But he really wanted to, to, to drive go-karts. His cousin Mason's involved in motorsport. And so, yep. you know, Lex looks up to him. So I'm like, well, I, I've, if he wants to do it, I need to provide him the opportunity to ha- have that, you know. So we got a go-kart and um, went out there. And I just loved it as well because um, not so much to jump into motorsport, but just to watch him learn um, on the track, learn the rules, learn the you know the judicial system, the flags, the process of a race meeting, and then you know racecraft and where to position the cart, all that sort of stuff is such a great part of that learning. And I think that you'll find that with most sports that you get involved with, it's all those other things that are important through that learning process, and also the discipline because there's days where he doesn't want to do it. It's like well, you got your good days and bad days, mate. You can't pick so you know get in there and the bad days make the good days even better so we do that and the social aspect that goes along with it and all those bits and pieces so yeah that whole go-kart scene for us has been a really enjoyable enjoyable um adventure and we thank rick for his time there make sure you check out the first episode of hellbent garage this sunday um i might send a couple of my motorbikes his way for some hellbent treatment i reckon because i'm not that handy on the tools myself Okay, let's take a look at what's happening around the world. Stoffel Van Dorn has been crowned the 2021-2022 Formula E champion after finishing second in the final race of the season in Seoul. Eduardo Mortara won that final race of the season after Mitch Evans won a crash-affected first race in the South Korean capital. In other Formula E news, Antonio Felix da Costa will replace Andre Lotterer in Porsche's lineup next season. Kevin Harvick took a second consecutive NASCAR Cup Series win in Richmond to put himself in contention for the 2022 title. And Perth-born third-generation rally ace Max McRae is working on a junior WRC program for 2023 after testing a Ford Fiesta Rally 3 car in Poland last week. Okay, Castrol mailbag time. Uh, Jordan Northcott asked if we have any hot tips on the drivers for the Anderson Motorsport Bathurst wildcard. Well, not really, Jordan, because we really don't know if that entry is going to go ahead uh, at this point. I did speak to Michael last week, and he said that it wasn't quite dead yet, that he was still working on getting it off the ground and speaking to supercars and assessing who could possibly drive the entry after he was his, wild, his super license was effectively revoked. But obviously the clock is ticking. Uh, there is plenty of chat that eventually the entry will be formally withdrawn, um, and that's a pretty feasible outcome as well given the fact that we are rapidly racing towards the Bathurst 1000 and we aren't hearing a lot out of the Anderson Motorsport Camp. All righty. 
Stefan, let's hand out some Castrol stars of the week. I'm going to go first this time. Um, and I don't actually know the name of my star this week because I don't know if you've saw this, but someone has been ripping up and down the freeway in the Czech Republic in an old GP2 car painted as a Ferrari Formula One car. Uh, now, obviously, we don't condone anything illegal on this podcast, um, but apparently this person is a repeat offender and the cops just can't work out who it is or catch him. Um, and something about that just tickles my fancy. If you haven't seen the video, do yourself a favour and take a look online. Uh, Stefan, who have you got this week? You have got too much time on your hands looking at those sort of videos <laughs> on the on the internet. Um, you could have got your DJR story out if you weren't busy doing that. Um, oh, thanks, thanks for the reminder. <laughs> My Castrol star of the week this week is Harry Bates. Like Shane Van Gisbergen has stolen the limelight in the ARC this year, but Harry is the best rally driver in the country at the moment. No question. He's just been confirmed to be making his WRC debut in Rally New Zealand this October, driving a Skoda Fabia in the WRC 2 class. It's great to see Harry get that opportunity, but credit also to Toyota Australia for letting him go and do it. It absolutely is. There's something about having a Bates back in the WRC, which is very, very cool. Well, that's it for this week. Remember to like, subscribe, and review our work wherever you listen to your podcast. And we'll be back next week with more Castrol Motorsport news. Australian Muscle Car Magazine is one of the most respected voices in motoring media. There's been over 140 issues and thousands of stories published in the last 22 years. From the amazing muscle car machines of the past to the present and the stars that steered and built them, AMC has something for everyone. Delve into the heritage of homegrown high performance now at musclecarmag.com.au.